I just wanted to uh, say right off the top, uh, Neil and I hosted a YouTube live stream uh, last Friday on the 19th of May, and we had a we had a pretty fair turnout of uh, people, you know, talking to us in the chat and and getting engaged, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So if you were one of those people that turned out and uh, joined us that night, uh, you know, thank you. That was, you know, we had a great time, and it's definitely something we're going to be looking forward to doing more of in the future. Justin was unfortunately unable to make it. He had full intentions of coming, just at the timing didn't work out at the last minute. So uh, we will do our best to make sure that he comes to the next one. And I don't really like speaking for other people. It's not something I do very often, but I think I do speak for Neil and Justin when I say that the engagement and the feedback that we're getting from everybody, both you know on the podcast and on the YouTube show, and on the couple live stream videos that have been done now, that level of feedback is what makes all of this worth it. Like those guys are putting an enormous amount of time into their channel and having the views and the feedback and the, and the community discussion is, is what drives it. So, you know, if nobody was there to, you know, watch the videos or listen to the podcast, or if we weren't getting any feedback whatsoever, um, it just wouldn't quite be the same. So a, a big thank you from all of us for just the support you've given us and the level of engagement you've shown uh, in the comments and in the chat uh, through, you know, the last five months of having Post to Post. With that said, this is episode four of the Post to Post podcast. Thank you very much for listening, streaming, watching, however you're consuming it. We do appreciate it. If you've got feedback for us, hit us up on Twitter at Post to Post Show. Write us an email, show at gmail.com. As always, if you're if you're new to this podcast and you're not sure of the YouTube channel, then youtube.com slash post the post. That's where this all started, and that's where the majority of the content goes. So definitely check that out and subscribe and like the videos if it's something you're interested in. Uh, this episode, we kind of took feedback from the people in the live stream chat. Uh, I had a had an interesting week where I didn't have internet and TV for a couple days, and then towards the end of the week, I didn't really have a whole lot of time to watch hockey. It was it was busy. So when we did the live stream Friday night, I we threw out in chat that, you know, we're taking ideas. What what do you think we should talk about? And we got some feedback and and we didn't quite get to all the topics that uh, were suggested. So we definitely have them written down for future episodes. And and we didn't really have a, a hard written schedule written written out like we normally do. Like normally I'll print out sheets for everybody and we'll we'll kind of see the things that we might talk about and, and some information about them. And so this, this episode was just completely free for all the four of us just sat down and we turned the microphones on and we just had a conversation. And, and for the most part, it kind of revolved around advertising and finance, which is kind of the, the background of Travis. So uh, we hope you find that interesting and I'm going to play that episode now. I uh, hope you enjoy. I'd like to first welcome Travis Amos to the podcast. He is a lifelong friend. He knows very little about hockey. No offense, Travis. Nothing. I don't know anything. But uh, one of the smartest people I know, He's he likes finance, and he might be able to offer us some financial hockey information. <laughs> I don't know how hybrid my information will be, but we'll, we'll see. We were doing a live stream last night, and Travis chimed in on the chat. We were trying to convince him to come over and join us. He did not, but he stayed in chat, and then we finally convinced him to join us for the podcast. That, uh, that live stream was actually quite a bit of fun. It was a lot of fun. So big kudos for everyone that came out in the yes. chat. Thank you very much for everyone who came out. We appreciate that. I looked at the uh, the footage of it. I actually watched it last night. That's that's why I didn't go to bed right away when I got You watched home. the whole thing? I didn't watch the whole thing, but 
when I got home and I played it, it, it kind of wasn't done processing yet, so it started right when I was wearing your Winnipeg jersey. Yep. And then I waited about another half an hour, and then I went back, and the start was there, and then, of course, I had to watch it from the start just to see what it looked like. Yeah. And it's funny, because as soon as it started, it looked kind of good, like as good as that webcam was going to look in terms of white balance. Yeah. As soon as I sat down, we just turned orange. Really? Yeah, it's pretty funny. And then it just kept changing. The white balance was just, like, pulsing the, pretty much the whole time. Weird. So when people were saying, we look really white or we look really orange... It was it was constantly changing, so if we do more of these, I will invest in a better webcam. I'd like to do some more in the future. This time we get Justin in, in on the action. Oh, hell yes. I'm still upset that I missed this, but it just didn't work out. My wife was stuck at work for an extra hour and a half than what she was scheduled to be, and it was just so late. I don't know who was more upset, Justin or the people in the chat. <laughs> yeah, that was actually kind of nice to see. I checked in about three, maybe four times, you know, during commercial breaks, during the intermission. I was actually surprised that there were some questions kind of directed toward me or, you know, some worded responses to say, hey, where the hell is Justin? Or Justin's ugly. You know, <laughs> yeah. that, that type of thing. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah. I asked for that. Oh, you did? Yeah. I, oh. told, I told people to make fun of your face. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I should be mad at you then. <laughs> yeah. Is. How thoughtful, Neil. <laughs> and there was one guy that was hating on both of us and just oh. saying Neil's the best because he's a Habs fan. Yeah. And then we suck because we're Bruins and Penguins fans. Just, Thanks. <laughs> but then he kept asking questions all night. So yeah. I don't know. He must not hate me that way. Habs one. fans stick together. I guess. They yeah. really do. All right. So I think uh, Travis had a question off the top. Yeah. So we'll let him re ask that question because we weren't recording then. So. Yeah, I did. Uh, so I guess the question I was wondering about was Hazard in. Your guys' knowledge base. Uh, ever been a player that was unable to travel due to uh, maybe being blacklisted on flights, um, uh, or maybe due to you know criminal backgrounds? Because sometimes that'll impede your visa process. And even even when Trump came into presidency, they were just blanket banning people that had born in certain countries. And oh yeah. I know for certain leagues, it was. I think the NBA had a couple players. There was two of them, I think, at the time that were concerned about it. So I don't think it's happened in hockey yet. I'm it, not sure what would happen. Not for blacklisting. I know that there was some issues with one player getting their visa. It was a junior player that was called up to. to I don't. I can't remember what team it was like Los Angeles or something like that. And he was playing for the farm team, and he couldn't get to their destination. They're on the on the road. They could. He couldn't get there because of a visa issue. But yeah, I, don't, I remember, can't remember if that, that was this year or last year, but I think that's the closest I, I have to a, an answer for that. Do you think athletes would get special kind of treatment? Absolutely. In terms of priority screening? Ab- yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah. I think the, each airport probably has its own separate private security just for, for people like that. Yeah, I'd say especially your bigger airports like LAX and like, you know Canada would be like Pearson Airport like that. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, a lot of dignitaries as well, public figures that absolutely aren't flying through public. Yeah, lots of private jets going in and yeah. out, and businessmen and all that stuff. See, we record this in Fragton, so if you've ever been to the Fragton Airport, <laughs> I think the width of my house is about the same width of the airport. Yeah, you basically, get on the plane or get off the plane. You walk in a door. Your luggage is right there on the right, and then you take, I don't know, what is it, 30 steps, and you're out the front door? Yeah, I think the, the waiting room is bigger than this room we're in now. <laughs> or this room is bigger than the one. Wow. The waiting room. All right, so as mentioned, we were doing that live stream last night. So Neil and I had the game on, but we weren't watching it as astutely as Justin was. Mm. The uh, the chat was actually going a lot faster than I thought it was going to. Yeah. It was hard to keep up sometimes. It, it was hard to keep up. There was a lot of questions. The people in the chat were watching the game as well, so actually we found out. Uh, in the chat that someone has scored before we even saw it on TV because we just weren't watching 
So it was pretty cool. So we should get Justin's take on that game last night. Yeah, let's hear it, Justin. Well, I was really, really, really happy that Pittsburgh came out, won that game. They needed to win that game because if they had went down 3-1, I don't know if they would have been able to pull out of that hole. But they've had this amazing ability, you know, for years now to bounce back. And for the longest time, they had a record going with Sullivan that they hadn't lost two games consecutively for, you know, an amount of months. Like it was a really long duration. So they're able to forget quickly and bounce back. And last night, you know, they proved it again. I mean, the first five minutes of the game, Ottawa really came out flying. Same with the last five minutes in the game. But everything in between, Pittsburgh really controlled everything in that game. And they were doing everything you know, 100%. And I was really critical of the idea of having Murray in net. Uh, after game three, I thought, okay, maybe they should go to Murray. And that way they can kind of send a message to the group and say, you know what, guys, we weren't good enough in this game. We have to be better. But as a couple of days went by, I said, you know, I think they should uh, leave Flurry in net because he's really earned that spot. And if it wasn't for him, they would not be where they are. And yeah, maybe I was wrong because they won the game last night, right? So perhaps the right decision was made. But Pittsburgh played such a stronger game last night. I don't know if it would have made a difference if Flurry was in or Murray was in. In all honesty, they looked sharp. Crosby stepped up. Um, you know, he was non-existent in game three. He was just a corpse with skates on. Uh, in game four, though, last night, he looked stellar. You know, he had a goal. He had an assist. He was in the play very often their power play looked a lot stronger probably the strongest it's looked in the entire series they were cycling the puck well uh their four check was amazing uh defensively everyone was a lot more responsible especially picking up the late man that type thing so they really fixed up everything that went wrong for them in game three and came out with a win but at first i was a little uh hesitant that they might lose it because Ottawa was starting to come on strong there in those final five minutes but luckily they were able to keep it do you think the games that Ottawa has won do you think that's more Ottawa winning or Pittsburgh not playing where they need to be playing well game three was definitely you know Pittsburgh not playing like yeah Ottawa was up four nothing at the end of the first in game three but man Pittsburgh were just standing around it was as if they had absolutely no interest in playing hockey that night and said you know what we're just going to stand here if you win you win We'll see how it goes. It was horrible how bad they look. And for, you know, the reigning defending Stanley Cup champions to look that terrible, like that that was a joke. I, I was so livid sitting at home watching that game. I couldn't even fathom words. I really couldn't. It was so awful. Were you worried last night when Ottawa started to come back at the end? Or did you have confidence that Pittsburgh would be able to? Well, I think I'd be lying if I said I wasn't at least a little worried. But I did have confidence that the Penguins could shut it down and, you know, really hold them back, which they were able to do. Uh, Murray did make a couple key saves, though, which were which were huge. And it might have been Bobby Ryan. Um, I'm actually forgetting who it was. Rung one off the post with like a minute and a half left. So, I mean, they were that close to tying that game. And sending it to overtime. How did you think that Anderson played? I thought he played stellar. Um, I mean, I really have absolutely no complaints on Anderson. He's been 100% in my opinion. And I mean, Pittsburgh did actually have a little bit of puck luck finally in this series. Like if you look at the goal that went off Phaneuf's skate, like that was insane luck. And I loved how uh, Malkin turned around after that goal and pointed at him and said, thank you. So (laughs) I thought that was a little comical. But yeah, they finally had some puck luck. And I mean, Ottawa had some puck luck too on that second goal. I mean, what was there, three deflections before that went in? Yeah, that was a strange... Oh, man, that was a C&I puck. I don't know how the hell it got through that wave of bodies and made it into the back of the net. But sometimes that happens, you know, sometimes you have some puck luck. And that's why they say it's never a bad idea to throw it on net. And I mean, that proves it. So let's say the Ottawa Senators come to you and they hire you to be an advisor. Oh, snap. You are now pro pro Ottawa (laughs) Senators. 
What <laughs> what what would you say they need to do to get back into the series or to to keep going? I think they need to forecheck more, and I really think they should dress Chris Neal. I've said that before the uh, series started because if they had a guy like Neal in the lineup, Pittsburgh has no answer for a guy like that because they don't have anybody to match a Chris Neal. And I think it's a big mistake not having him there unless he's injured and I completely don't know about it. But at the beginning of the series, I said Chris Neal has to be in the series. He could be the it factor to really rattle the Penguins, get them off their game, maybe make them take some stupid penalties. And then first thing you're on the power play again. And he's a very physical guy, and Pittsburgh just would not be able to match anyone against him. You had similar opinions about Tanner Glass. Yeah, Tanner Glass. Love Tanner Glass. And I said Tanner Glass has to be in the lineup for the Rangers. And to me, he really did make a difference for the Rangers yeah, you said in that a be- few instances. You said that before the playoffs started, and Tanner Glass scored the first goal of the entire playoffs. Yes, Tanner Glass. You know, I love that guy. And I know him very well because he played with Pittsburgh for a while, so I'm really familiar with his habits. And I said, he has to be in the lineup. And it boggled my mind that the Rangers didn't have him in all season. I said, he's an amazing player. People look at him as a scrapper, you know, a guy that's just out there to stir up crap. But he's actually a very good hockey player. So do you think Chris Neal's just getting too slow and old or what? Because he was, he's always been a pretty big factor in the playoffs for Ottawa. Yeah, he has been. And I mean, he has some numbers to really prove it. And to me, he's a heart and soul guy. And if he's in the lineup, I think Ottawa could have an edge. He really needs to be in the lineup for them, in my opinion, because Pittsburgh cannot match him. They cannot. So going back to or going forward to game six in Pittsburgh, series is tied 2-2 now. Who wins that game? Game five. Game five, sorry. Yes. <laughs> I'm I'm really hoping the Penguins. Uh, but at this point, you know, it's a 50-50 split. Pittsburgh's won one and lost one at home. Same with Ottawa. So I don't know. It's kind of up in the air. But I think now it depends, okay, which Pittsburgh Penguins team is going to show up. Are we going to get the team from last night or are we going to get the team in game three? Well, I'm hoping for the team from last night. And if that happens, I think Pittsburgh has a really, really solid chance. Because if we look at the teams on paper, Pittsburgh is a lot deeper up front than the Ottawa Senators. But the big story right now is Pittsburgh's health on the blue line. Yeah. That's that's a really big story right now. So hypothetically, if Ottawa won last night and went up 3-1 in the series, what would your confidence level be at for Pittsburgh coming back and winning? I'd, I'd say about 50%. Uh, that would be a that's really, still pretty really, good. 50%. Yeah, a really big hole. But Ottawa, I think if they went up 3-1, they would go right back to that 1-3-1 system like we saw in Game 2 where yeah. they didn't push the play at all. And that was the game Pittsburgh shut them out in. And man, Ottawa didn't forecheck or anything. They just stood around, you know, waiting for an opportunity where Pittsburgh would make a mistake and turn that puck over. And then Ottawa could capitalize, perhaps get up the ice on two on one, that type thing. But to me, if Ottawa plays that style still, I don't think they're going to win this series. Yeah, that one three one system is the same system that Tampa Bay used for yeah. for a while. Yeah, and the one three one system can be very successful. It can. It really can. However, I think the Penguins have finally figured it out after those first two games that they can counter that system. And best way to counter it is just dump pucks, yeah, chase pucks. I mean, that's what you got to do. And if the defenseman wants to go back and play that puck, make him pay for it. Exactly. Nail him every time. Yeah. That's what I would do. If you can squeeze two guys in past those three on a dump in, you're facing one defenseman with two attackers. Chances well, yeah. are you're going to turn over the puck. Well, yeah, the defenseman can't turn and match your speed if you're forechecking you yeah. know, in full force. And Pittsburgh has that speed if they really want to utilize it. Uh, Ottawa really slowed them down in game one. Like that 1-3-1 one, one system was played to perfection, in my opinion, to game one. And Pittsburgh weren't really able to counter it. However, in game two, they were able to counter it. And what Ottawa should have did in game two was 
okay, wait a minute, they've kind of figured out a way to to break through this. We need to counter a little bit, but they really didn't. They just stuck with that one three one, and it didn't really help them at all in that game. You know, and Pittsburgh shut them out. So this is maybe a little off topic, but the one three one system compared to the trap, what do you think is most more effective? Tough to say. It's really tough to say because it's really different eras, you know? Yeah. You look at Jersey back in the 90s. I mean, that system won them cups, but it's the reason why I hate New Jersey because they were the most boring team to watch for years. It it used to piss me off so much that if I looked at the schedule and said, oh, God, Pittsburgh's playing Jersey, I wouldn't even want to watch the game. That's how much it would annoy me. And to get this correct, you don't hate New Jersey as the city or no. as like the colors no, or the logo not. or any players. You just hate the, the style, style. The style and That's the system the that they play. That's yeah, the only here. thing I hate. I mean, there's a lot of guys on Jersey that I really like. Yeah. Uh, I like Bobby Farnham that they got from Pittsburgh, Bo Bennett that they got from Pittsburgh. I'm a big Shiro <laughs> fan. Oh, wait a minute. Pittsburgh's creeping into this. But no, no. In all honesty, I'm a big fan of a lot of players on uh, on Jersey, but it's just that style. Oh, I hated that style. There so was someone years. in the live stream last night asking Neil and I why we hate New Jersey. It's yeah. like, I don't hate New Jersey. It's just, there's nothing there really that makes me excited about them. They're getting better. Mm. They're getting better for sure. Well, yeah, they got Taylor Hall. I mean, that's a big thing in my opinion. I had fun it's watching superstar. Miles Wood this year as well. He was... Was it Philadelphia that played Tampa in the one three one game? Where they just, yeah. Philadelphia defensemen yep. just held on to the yeah. puck and the fans were going nuts? <laughs> Yeah, and they kept whistling it dead, and then the official said, you have to move the puck. So he said, okay. So he just started skating left to right, and he wouldn't advance. So, hey, the puck's in motion. It's in play, so they wouldn't whistle it dead. And they did this for minutes, for minutes. But Boucher said, don't go in, don't forecheck, stick with the 1-3-1. So, I mean, that's a team that's really bought in because when Philly's making them a laughing stock and they're still not going in on the forecheck, I mean, that's when you know your team is committed to the system that you're – preaching yeah no uh, i just gonna jump in there i had one quick question now of the four remaining teams how strategic do they have to play now to avoid things like fatigue injuries for the finals because you know i i mean is is the first couple of games at the very beginning of the stanley cup uh, championships different than your semi-final games where you're now that close you you know you lose your Sidney crosby you lose your your star player does that then diminish your chances of winning, or is it really just specifically game to game? You got to win, got to pr- proceed to the next game. I mean, if the Penguins had have lost last night, would they have burned themselves out running to to catch up? That's a great question. I personally believe the teams take it series by series. I don't think they can look that far mm-hmm. in advance, just because. I mean, if you start thinking so far in advance, then you're kind of taking yourself out of where you are. And it, anything can happen. So you just need to take it series by series, in my opinion. Yeah, health plays a lot. I mean, if Chris Letang was 100% healthy for the Pittsburgh Penguins, that would make a difference. If Hornquist, Schultz, these guys were all back in the lineup, makes a big difference. Say if you take Eric Carlson off the Ottawa Senators, what would happen next game? I think they would be in big, big trouble. Um And you read a lot that a lot of people say, well, the healthiest team will win the Stanley Cup every year. There's quite a bit of truth in that. There really is. Because if you have key players that are out of the lineup when you're deep into the playoffs, that makes it really, really difficult to keep going forward. But yeah, you do definitely have to take it series by series because, I mean, you have no idea who your next opponent's going to be. And between the series, then you have a chance to study some tape, check out the opponent, try to find some flaws, that sort of thing, and just keep pushing forward. But health is a big, big part of it. 
But uh, Mark Messier said it only takes one thing to win a Stanley Cup, and that's a miracle. So I think yeah. that has a lot of truth, too. So I'll follow up on Travis's question. If you're up 3 nothing or 3-1 in a series and you know your big guys are hurt, do you consider reducing ice time like significantly, or do you think you just keep playing to end the series and... Well, it depends how deep your team is, really. Like, if you have a lot of guys that can step in and take some of those minutes off some of your bigger players, then by all means do it because then, you know, you're saving them some hard-hitting hockey. So it could be a good thing. But if you're up 3-1 in a series, you want to keep the pedal to the metal and try to get that fourth win because they always say the fourth one's the hardest one to get, right? And I think if you have a team on the ropes like that, you got to go all in and try to end it quick. But unfortunately, it didn't work for Pittsburgh when they had Washington like that uh, the last series. Washington stormed back and took it to game seven. So, yeah, I'm going to ask an unfair question. If you took the best player on each team left in the playoffs, which team would be in the worst condition if they lost that player? Would it be Ottawa? I think Ottawa with Carlson, hands down. Um, Pittsburgh has proven time and time again that if Malkin's out or Crosby's out, they can still win. They're that deep of a franchise. But Carlson, uh, wow, he would be irreplaceable for the Ottawa Senators. Hands down, because night in, night out, to me, he's their best player. Yeah, Malkin's numbers with Oak Crosby in the lineup are very impressive. <laughs> yeah, they actually go up, yeah. which makes no sense. Um, you know, it's almost as if, oh, wait, Crosby's out. I need to step up. Dude, why can't you do that anyway? Yeah, Maybe exactly. he's in the lineup. Come on. But yeah, it's actually quite funny. And his numbers are through the roof when uh, when Crosby's out. And both times Crosby was out, Malkin won the Art Ross. And he's won two Art Ross because Crosby was out. Like, it was yeah. unbelievable. So I'll follow up a question that was asked on the live stream quite a bit last night and you weren't there to answer it. So do you think Nashville is in trouble now that they have the Johansson injury? I don't think so. I think Nashville's very deep on the blue line. I really think they are. And I think that they are on so much of an adrenaline rush. To me, if I had to put money on a team that's going to come out of the West after everything I've seen up to this point, I might have to change and say the Nashville Predators because man, they are really on a mission. And, you know, reviewing the highlights and all that, the players are so into it. Like you see when the cameras pan the bench, at times half the players aren't even sitting down. They're standing up. They just can't wait to get back on the ice for their next shift. Uh, You know, minus that injury, they're a healthy club. They're a tenacious club. Uh, I think they'll still do well. Yeah, there's been rumors that, I don't know, maybe there's more than rumors now, but Fisher got injured as well. He left the ice. I don't know his status. I, maybe I should have looked that up before we started this podcast. Uh, that I mean, you lose your captain, so that could be pretty painful. But like Justin said, Nashville's pretty deep. Uh, they got a solid blue line. They've got guys to replace the boys up front. Um, Pecorini's playing amazing. I think they'll be okay, but it will be interesting to watch them moving forward to see how they do. Yeah, I'd look forward to it. I know that. All right, so we're just kind of free-flowing it today. Yeah, we don't really have a plan. We're just kind of talking There's no schedule. So we asked the people in the live stream for ideas, and they came up with a couple things. So let's talk about expansion a little bit here. I'm going to ask Travis, because he's over there playing on his phone. (laughs) Sure. Yep. So I guess it's hard for him. This isn't a fair question to ask, because you you don't have numbers in front of you to look at. But the NHL is putting a price tag of $500 for a new team to be brought into the league, yep. which is what Quebec would have to play in, in American funds. And there's a lot of teams that aren't barely making profit right now. I think there's four or five. So if you're selling your tickets for, I think in chat said there was 20 bucks for some of those games, yeah. $20 for a ticket, which is crazy to me. But do you think $500 million is too much for what you're getting, considering you also have to build the arena and all the other costs that go with the $500 is just the entrance fee for the NHL to say, yeah, you still have to spend all the money on like the designers and there's, there's just so many things. Yeah. And that's like you said, it's in us funds as well. So 500 million 
U.S. is seventy-four yeah. or like, seven hundred and forty million, significantly Canadian. more in in yeah. Canadian right now. Uh, it depends. I mean, it depends on the center. Uh, you know, you look at a city, and they a lot of the cities will decide it on what spinoff they can get on it. So, I mean. You know, Quebec City might be looking at it and saying a new arena costs us this much, this much, the entrance fee, all of that. But as a greater economic impact, you're going to see more tourism. You're going to see a lot of the surrounding businesses be able to take off. You may see some people that are willing to come in and do sponsorships move their flagships into the area. So if you can get a, you know, a retailer or somebody like that to move in. So it does lessen the impact because, again, it's usually not just one place putting all the money up. They get it from either investors or or sponsors that are going to come in. Uh, hard part being in Canada, most of our cities are fairly isolated. They're not – I mean, we don't have the population here that they do in the States. We'd love to be able to say we generate the same amount of income. But reality-wise, I mean, how many franchises can they jam into one city or one small area? So that's the, probably the biggest um, thing that they'll end up having to look at. I, I mean, I was thinking last night as a live stream was going on, what would the impact be of a of a Atlantic slash New England uh, kind of hockey franchise? Would it generate the same level? Possibly. Uh, it's, again, where do they locate it to draw just the regulars that would come. In Montreal and Toronto, I, I mean, they can easily fill arenas just with who's around locally. That's why I think Las Vegas has a really good chance because, again, they'll always have a monstrous amount of people locally that would just say, hey, let's go watch a hockey game. Lower ticket prices will probably help because then you'll get people that aren't necessarily the diehards. Eh? I mean, I would say your average ticket price in some of the more established places, I mean, you guys could tell me a little bit better on that, are probably ranging a little bit higher. But then you go to Tampa Bay, and I, I mean, I know that they're much cheaper because on a day-to-day basis, you're probably not going to get the same draw. So I think that would play a big... I mean, it's a lot of money. Uh, I mean, you could do a lot with 500000 and that's always the argument. I think Calgary had it a couple of years ago when they talked about building another arena, is if they can put up you know, three, four hundred million dollars, could they put it somewhere better? And that'll be the political side that comes into the debate. So, yeah, it's a, a lot goes into it. I, I didn't think of that uh, when you when you talk about the expansion, because it's easy to say, I'll just put the team there, but it's much more difficult to say logistically, how do they generate the money and how do they show investors that they'll make something off it? Because... And, and that seems to be what's happening now with these new arenas. I don't know if you guys know, it's like, if you look at Edmonton or if you look at all these places where these new big arenas are going, it's not just an arena anymore. It's like a whole corridor of like multiple blocks of businesses that are kind of investing at the same time. Yeah, if we look at LA, this year the All-Star Game was there. And it was a whole venue of places. It wasn't just the rink. It was a promenade of stuff. And yeah, you're, you're right. It's it's more than just a, a rink. I think, too, sponsors probably want a little bit more for their money nowadays. I, I mean, they lost that traditional. Because we think about the way we watch hockey games now. I would say a fair amount of people stopped watching through ESPN and and the regular venues and probably now watch a lot online. So, I mean, like you guys talked about the contracts like Rogers and Bell have where they've essentially partnered. But now moving to that more digital side, there's not commercials the same way there used to be. There's not let's break, go to commercial, watch your commercials, and then come back. Uh, so sponsors, I think, want more FaceTime. I mean, it's not just enough to have your your logo slathered on the side of the boards where you, know, you might see if someone gets 
hammered against the boards. I think they want a little bit more of the, like, how can we get our venues right there? Who can we get to represent us? Because now you'll see a lot of, like, celebrities and high-value people going out there and, you know, I'm here to represent Papa John's or... Hockey's a fun game, but at the end of the day, it's a business. Oh, big time. I actually want to follow that up. Travis makes a very good point there. If you subscribe to NHL Game Center Live or whatever, I don't even know, NHL TV, I think it's called in the States, if it goes to commercial, you don't see the commercial. It's just a spinning NHL NHL logo saying, we'll be back or whatever it says. You hear everywhere that mobile's growing, and we've seen it from our this channel. We that, talked about it last night. We talked yeah. about it in the stream. Like it's like Neil and I never believed that mobile devices would be higher than computers and televisions, but we look at our analytics, and it, it shows us that it is. Yeah. So if more people are turning to that type of platform to get the games, the advertising is actually going down. So in your opinion, does that mean that they, we're going to see more? On ice advertisements, like you, I know you've had the video about the advertisements on the glass and things like that. They have to find a way to make up for that advertising, whether it's on jerseys or on the glass, yeah. or they put more on the ice. Or like, do you think? Do you think there's going to be more advertisements in the future that in places that they aren't right now? I guess is what I'm saying. Well, it's actually already kind of started in the regular season with Rogers Game Center or NHL TV in the U.S. Uh, there's absolutely no advertising mm-hmm. uh, during the commercial breaks. It actually just says commercial break in progress on your device, and it's just an NHL logo that rotates. But now that we're in the playoffs, they actually have commercials on this streaming service uh-huh. because now, because I'm a subscriber to Rogers Game Center, and now I'm subject to commercials, and these are the first commercials that I have watched in probably <laughs> you know eight to nine months. So it really caught me off guard when it went to a commercial break, and I thought, Wow, I'm getting a commercial now. So what I did was I killed the stream, so I wouldn't see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually watch all of my hockey recorded, and then like I watch it delayed, so I can skip the commercial breaks. I don't watch any commercials. <laughs> nice. I hate commercials. And uh, now is I, I guess that maybe we it might be a hard question to ask. Is there regulation saying that they can't wear sponsors on their jerseys? Like it's I, coming. I it's mean, coming. I'm thinking like NASCAR. Like NASCARs, you, you know, those drivers get out, advertising, yeah, and yeah. they're from head to toe advertisements. Uh, I think some of the European leagues might be similar. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, I, I I'm thinking of their jerseys. They usually have a lot of logos. I yeah. I don't know if that's I don't even know if soccer or... teams in Europe have logos. It's just a big. It's, they have sponsor. a small logo right here on, on the, by right. the shoulder. Oh, right, like, like Arsenal and Chelsea. But yeah. then it's like whoever it's their main. Fly Emirates back. right across their stomach. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. if you think like the loyalty there in sports franchises drives a lot of that. Like that's that's money. I mean, you get somebody. I mean, we look at like a lot of the NHL players that go out and do sponsorship deals. Like those are. Those are lucrative deals, but I'm thinking on the team side of it, I mean, if they can put logos on their jersey, then you've got probably a bigger business because otherwise you get Crosby goes out and supports Tim Hortons. How much did the Penguins make off of that? I, I don't know. It depends on how, they, how they're managed, but I would say they'd make a lot more if Tim Hortons could slap one right on the center of his helmet. Like, See, I think we talked about this in one of the episodes on the YouTube channel. Yeah. About like conflict of interest and stuff like that. Like, like I'll ask Travis, like the popular players have independent sponsors, right? Like, you know, Gatorade and Nike and Reebok or whoever. What happens when, let's say, a personal sponsorship of a player is one team, one company, and then the yeah. team gets sponsored by a rival company to that? So Sidney Crosby might not necessarily be out there wearing, you know, whoever's name he's sponsoring on his helmet, but he he has the competitions, you know, right. up on his shoulder, right? Like, how is that going to affect his personal sponsorship? 
I'd say the league will probably deal with that, because on a league level, they're going to start saying, well, sponsors are going to pull out if they can't guarantee their money. If they're they're going to say Tim Hortons is on Sidney Crosby, but Second Cup is on the, you know, it, it becomes the Penguins Second Cup Arena, or I guess <laughs> yeah. in the States, it's probably more like Dunkin' Donuts, but uh, uh but yeah, see, then they'd have a lot of conflict between, you know, or the contracts will start that way. I, I would say that you're going to see a big change on new players that they believe are going to be the next greats, have different contracts saying, here's your clause that allows you to advertise, um, or you're not allowed to advertise if we already have a primary advertiser. Because I, I can see that being a big thing uh, that coming along. I don't know of any other sports teams that really have big issues like that because again a lot of them are either managed by a single management company or the franchise as itself dictates so they probably have contracts that say if you're going to sponsor or be sponsored by someone you have to be approved by us first and i assume they have to get something i mean whether it's like a, a fee or a due to, to be able to go out and do it because i mean they're not stupid they have lawyers that they pay bazillions of dollars <laughs> yeah. to make sure that their investments are well looked after. Like you said, it's a business at the end of the day. Those players, sure, they're people, but they're assets to the company. I'm sure they're insured. Uh, like Sidney Crosby, if he gets 16 more hit concussions, I'm sure some insurance company is going to be crying about it because they're going to have to reimburse somebody. So, yeah. Do you think, like, over in Europe with the soccer leagues and stuff like that, the advertisement is full force and the fans don't seem to mind? We are, you always hear about the ho- the hockey jersey is so sacred and, and you know it's it needs to remain clean. Do you think eventually the advertising is going to take over? And then when like we're we're all pretty young guys still, but do you think when we're older and the next gen a fan is, do you think they're going to not care as much and it'll just become the norm? It very well could be. I mean, advertising on hockey jerseys is coming. Sad. It's a very sad thought, but you know, as you mentioned, it's a business and there's just too much money on the table to walk away mm-hmm. from it. There's too many potential sponsors that'll throw millions and millions of dollars at the league to say, we want our logo on that player's jersey. Or perhaps they'll put even more money out and say, we want it on every NHL jersey, regardless of player, regardless of franchise. It's very possible. However, I would never buy a jersey if mm. it has a company's logo on it. Yeah. It has to be clean, just with the team's logo, player's name or number, if I have a preferred player. If it had company logos, I would never buy it, ever. And I think the NHL would see a drop in sales. But would it be equivalent to what they would pull in advertising? That'd be tough. See, that's a good point because I think in our video that we talked about it, we said that they'd probably sell the jerseys without the advertisements on it, but that's not how it works in the other leagues. Nope. So if you look at a NASCAR hat, Mm. (laughs) the more I think of it, the sponsorship's paying for that advertisement in the game, but they're also paying for that advertisement for you and I to be walking around on the street showing their brand off. Yep. So I'm not so sure. Like, Back in that video, I said that they probably would sell it without the advertisement, and I don't know if I agree with that anymore. I think that's that's kind of what they're paying for. Yeah, it's, it, that would be a really tough call. But the thing is, it's very possible that if the advertisers are coming in and paying, you know, a really high amount, it could offset what they would lose in jersey sales. It really could. I think it'll be a creep too. I don't think it'll be tomorrow they'll be everywhere i think it'll be one year you might see maybe they're allowed to have one logo next year maybe they're allowed to have two and then kind of move into it to the point where you're at a generation of people that have never not seen nhl jerseys without logos because exactly, yeah. i mean that's the thing that i don't think the nhl franchise as of today 
would want to shock fans by saying, guess what, 10 logos, and they're going to be on all the merchandise, and, you know, we're going to make players change their names to, like, Lucky Charms or something. <laughs> Uh, but I think it'll be a slow move, and I think it's going to involve a lot of money. I I think they would easily offset by their sponsorship, especially because, you know, like to Neil's point, I think the the recording of of hockey games probably happens a lot more often now. Because you know, at one time you used to have to stay up, or you used to mm-hmm. have to you know avoid. Uh, I think Neil of your dad, like any time any he was away for any amount of time, oh, yeah. he would not read the newspaper, listen to the radio, out of fear that he couldn't go back and watch his v- yeah. VHS of uh, of a hockey game or a NASCAR uh, race. But now you don't have to do that. You can DVR it, load it to your phone, exactly. watch it while you're away, and uh, that has skipped over a lot of the advertisements that people can get in and see. And, you know, I, I don't think we're as, I guess, aggressively seeing as many advertisements as we used to. Yeah. If we, you mentioned my father, if we think about our fathers and you think about the kind of hockey that they watched, you know, when they were our age or maybe, okay, maybe a little younger, they watched games with no advertisements mm. on the boards. And we grow up watching all of our hockey with advertisements on the boards in NHL games. I think it would be weird to watch a game now on TV with no advertisements on the boards. It is weird when you see the old clips and it's just it's white. It's very strange. Yeah. I suddenly picture them all sitting around complaining about advertising on the boards like we are about advertising. <laughs> yeah, 35 years, years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah really. Yeah. Because what would that have been? Probably the early 1980s. Uh, uh, yeah, advertising yeah, first started coming in yeah. on the boards. And to me, if I go back and I watch clips from classic games, say the 70s or early 80s, and there's no advertisements on the boards, I think it looks weird. It does. It looks very Very strange. weird. And I think if you got rid of the advertisements on the boards, wow, I think that would just send shockwaves. Um, I think at times players might be all for it because if somebody's dumping a puck in the zone, you can maybe lose the puck in an advertisement mm. because <laughs> of the color overlay. But if they were solid white, you could probably pick up the puck a lot better, to be honest. Yeah, and it's not like when I watch a game, I don't even look at the advertisements on. It's just a blur. It's just having that little bit of color there in, in your peripheral vision. I, I was going to ask that too. Now, this is a, a, a changing environment we live in. Do you think it has the impact? Like, I, I mean, maybe that's why they've stopped doing as much on the commercial side and maybe even looking at stop doing as much on the the board side because I'm sure there's numbers out there saying like if if Little Caesars puts their sign on in the standing cup finals in the NHL if if it's there their you know their amount of pizzas sold goes up like yeah. i i don't know if it has the impact i i mean it's interesting to know because you look at the NFL like when their super when the super bowl is going on those commercials are massive they pay massive amounts of money and i believe that there's numbers come out that show the uptick in in revenue over the next couple of months mm. I wonder if it's the same in the NHL. I don't know if, if we're the same type of fans. I like, I, 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 the new Detroit arena is called the Little Caesars Arena. That doesn't make me want Little Caesars pizza, I, even though I like Little Caesars pizza. It's all about the subconscious. Yeah. It's in your head. So next time yeah. you want pizza, you, like last night, we, yeah. had, we, we had Little Caesars pizza we did, before actually. we did the live stream. Unrelated to the, the Detroit arena. But the advertising thing is, is tough because I think hockey is one of the few things on tv left that people do watch live like i don't Mm. know too many people that watch tv shows 
that don't PVR them first at oh, least. Yeah. Like my wife will watch a show twenty minutes into it starting just so she can fast forward. Yeah, yeah that's the exact same thing I do. And hockey is one of the few things where you kind of, if it's a big game, you kind of want to watch it live. Oh, and the like the Olympic games and mm. stuff, you watch those live. Yeah, like I think advertising is going to evolve, and I'm not even sure if we know how it's going to evolve yet. <clears throat> Who knows? It could evolve to the point where somehow they'll make it so that you can't skip over the mm. advertisements. Okay, you can PVR it all you want, but you can't skip over the advertisements. Who knows? Maybe that could become a reality in the future. It's it's tough to say. I mean, it's kind of creeping in everywhere. It's to the point now, if you go to a movie theater, you're going to see advertisements before the movie. <laughs> yep. I mean, it wasn't, yeah. what, maybe seven years ago that started? Maybe around that time? Yeah. Time frame. I mean, I remember going to the theater all the time as a kid, and I mean, there was never advertisements before the movie. Like, yeah, we'd see a trailer for an upcoming movie, but there wasn't an advertising for Kia cars. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't exist. It's just growing all over the place because there's money to be made. I, I think it's interesting, too, because at one time, we saw a lot of the advertising happening in the, you know, like you, you talk about the movies or, or anything, really. It used to happen during, like, I, I think of like, coca-cola and pepsi like you'd be watching a movie someone would drink a coca-cola and be like man that's a refreshing (laughs) coca-cola yeah it's it's not it's now a lot more hidden like the logos are places like i I mean you you watch and yeah yeah you read the article saying like how much pepsi paid to have their logo in the background of an avenger scene where it doesn't really even you might not even notice it but i bet you probably thought, or you at it's least like recognize. It is, yeah, yeah it's like it's a, it's a lot more um, subversive now versus them just like actually stopping the movie's regular flow and saying, "Man, that's refreshing," <laughs> or or moving into that. And now you're right. I think it's it's a changing market because the advertising part for every time you try to lock the ads in, you have some place like AdBlocker coming up and saying, "Hey, pay us a little bit of money, or don't pay us any money and let us advertise to you." But we'll get rid of the advertisements. And, <laughs> and it, it's kind of that back and forth of the advertisers trying to figure out a way to make it make sense but not make people hate them. Because they don't want people to look at, you know, you don't want Tim Hortons to have people saying, yeah, Tim Hortons is a real jerk because they, you know, they painted Sidney Crosby's face or Conor McDavid or, you know, Ovechkin with a logo and made him look like a fool. But uh, you never know. I, I, I mean, I guess they're paying money to have their product out there so i I think uh i think advertisements can have a negative effect on a company like that stupid chevy commercial where the the guys walking around like (laughs) initial quality yeah initial quality what what kind of car do you think this is it looks like an audi Uh, like that commercial is on so much in canada during the hockey (laughs) because of it and because of the last month and a half of hockey that i've watched i will never buy a Chevrolet in the next 10 years of my life. So I think when your dad was on the video about the advertisements on the glass, he was basically saying he keeps a list of the companies that he advertise and he yeah. will not purchase products from those yes. companies. Love it. Which is, which is pretty <laughs> interesting. But then like Neil had someone write him an email, I think, and he said that he was a small business owner and that those are actually an affordable option for him, whereas the others aren't. In Ottawa, mm-hmm. yeah. And I didn't know that. I guess that would be on a regional broadcast, not on a national one. Right. Because... From my understanding, if you're on a national broadcast with the ads on the glass, it's more expensive to have them on for all three periods than it is to have a static one on the boards. Hmm. So and I think eventually you'll see um, 
like uh, LED ads on the entire boards. So then they can just rotate ads out more frequently. So then you could see in the one spot on the boards, maybe 15 different ads right. in a single period. So the NHL can make more money, but it can become more affordable for smaller businesses. And and that was the, I, uh, I was watching a show, I can't remember which one it was. That was the argument for the ads on the glass was that if you buy, they're, they're just, they're, they were intended to be rotated at every period. So you get basically a third of the game and it's a lot cheaper. So you... Hmm. That's something like smaller companies can invest in. I absolutely see them switching to some sort of tech. Like MLB has it. If you've ever noticed, they got that big green screen in the back of behind the, mm. the the people hitting the ball, and it just changes all the time. And sometimes they don't chroma key it out very well, and it looks really yeah. bad. So I mean, that technology is still coming. But I've seen ads in hockey where it actually looks like there's a light in behind. Have you seen that? Like it's so bright, and the reflection of the ad actually goes onto the ice, and I. I hate that. I don't want that. Yeah. Well, if you look in, in Ottawa, don't they have an, a full LED wall behind the benches, like where the players sit? Isn't I think yep. it's Ottawa where they have yep. ads behind the players. Yep, they do, and uh, it'll just be plastered, say, with a bunch of Gatorade logos, yeah. and then it'll rotate to something else, maybe during the second period. It's that bright type of thing. too. Yeah, it is, and I mean, it's just another way for them to get advertisements in the games. Because how many times during a single hockey game does the camera pan the bench of players? Like it's probably 25, maybe 35 times. So that's quite a few. Well, I shouldn't say quite a few. That's a lot of eyes that can be on your company's logo or maybe your catchphrase during a hockey game because you could have millions of people seeing that 25 times one in thing a single I, hockey game. One thing I notice when you're watching an American feed is almost everything that happens in the game is brought to you by a company. Oh, yeah. Mm. Geico. Like the this, this five on three, this, this timeout, this coach's challenge, like... Pretty much anything that happens into a game where there's a pause from the speak, there's some company somewhere paying for that yeah. little. And I don't, we don't get that as much up here. It's annoying, but what really bothers me is when they specifically say this power play was made possible <laughs> by whatever company <laughs> made possible. This power play could not exist if this company didn't exist. Discover credit cards. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah, it's kind of a bad wordplay, isn't it? I mean, they weren't on the ice, you know, drawing a penalty or trying to do something. They just yeah. threw some money and said, hey, advertise for us. Okay, you will now be responsible for all of our power plays. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you a question, and I'm going to tie in two topics here, sponsorship and expansion. If you're the Quebec City, whoever owns that, whoever's going to own the, the, the future team, if a sponsor came to you, say Enterprise Rent-A-Car came to you and said, we will help you build an arena, we'll give you such and such money, but we want to be your sponsor for the next 10 years. Do you think that's an option for an expansion team to to take a sponsor's money in exchange for advertising? They'd have to be certain that the NHL is going to approve them because mm. you see a lot of contracts get signed for the names of the arenas, you know, where a company mm-hmm. will come in and give X amount of dollars and say, okay, our company is now going to be the official name of this arena. Like, I'd like to know how much did Bell pay to have oh, you know, yeah. the arena yeah. in Montreal named the Bell Center. I'm sure there was a lot of zeros oh, on yeah. that check. And it's been how many years now that it's been the Bell Center? I'm not even sure, but it's been a lot. Oh, it's been, I think, at least 15. Yeah, probably. I don't even remember what it was before, which is sad. Uh, wouldn't it have been Molson? Molson maybe? Center, yeah. Molson? That's what it was, Molson yeah. Center, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. I think with the Vegas team, like the guy, you know, he put out the money himself, but 
after it got approved, he started taking personal investors as well. Like, there's a lot of celebrities that are investing into that franchise too by paying like one percent or even mm. less. It's interesting. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, there's a lot of big money players in a place like Vegas, uh, mm. and there's even a lot of big money players that don't live in Vegas. You know, they have a setup in Vegas where they go on long weekends or maybe vacations. I mean, there's a lot of money around a place like that, and I think that's why they got a franchise before so many other cities, which to me are higher hockey markets yeah. than Vegas. I mean, Vegas, I look at is the same as Arizona. It's not a big hockey market. It's not. And the big difference that Vegas has over Arizona is it's more of a vacation destination. And I think just because of that, they'll be able to sell out games more than, you know, a place like uh, Arizona, but Quebec city, come on, that would sell out every single game. Yeah, the the Vegas Vegas getting a team was a hundred percent about growing the game and absolutely nothing to do with a city deserving hockey. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. It came down to to money, and uh, you know the current owners and the league as a whole, they look at Vegas as a cash cow. They really do. I think it was probably easy to get investors involved in in a Vegas team for a couple of reasons. Because anybody that invests would have access to the arena probably whenever they want uh, you know if you have enough money thrown out there box seats are probably not that hard to get uh and for them if they're trying to develop other businesses so if you've got an investor that sells real estate on a massive level for, for him to take a client and wine and dine them and say here let's go to our you know a game nobody else can get into box seats all of this is a pretty appealing offer. So, I mean, for them to throw, I mean, even if they threw $10 million into the $500 million pot, it's money. Even if they threw $100 million, I mean, if you're a big enough investor, you could see a huge benefit of owning a share of it. I I mean, to have that access without ever having to worry about, well, I'm not going to be able to take my client or whoever to a venue like this and show them. Like, I would say you will probably see a lot of luxury style seating in the Las Vegas arena. I I would almost guarantee it. Because, I mean, I think of Vegas on all of the levels, it's a lot about that different, I guess, experience. So I'm curious to know, like, I mean, it'd be nice to see, like, a full-on tour of the building, but I would guess that they'll have a lot of really nice premium seating and box seating, so... Uh, that, uh, that helps out. I mean, uh, Quebec would, I, I mean, I look at like Montreal, like Montreal fills their seats just on locals alone. I, I mean, they don't really have to worry about people coming unless it's, especially the rivalry games. I mean, you get a team that Montreal really likes playing off against. They're going to fill the arena. Oh, absolutely. I think Quebec would have the same benefit because again, you'd have that rivalry of close Canadian and American cities that we would, you know, people would want to go see. That's where you have a hard time when you stretch it to areas like, I mean, I don't think Louisiana's going to have an easy time. I mean, you never know. I mean, Nashville obviously fills their, their arena. So, I mean, it's not a place I think, hey, they probably play, play hockey there. I mean, it's not my first I think, thought. I think Las Vegas has one other thing going for it is that there's no other professional sports league, sports team, mm. sorry, in, in the city. Yeah. So when you have these, like you mentioned, these executives taking people out to an experience in their yep. box or whatever, that that's going to be a destination for, because it's the only team that's playing in the city. Yeah, because before the NHL, it was all about boxing. Yeah. yeah. You know, the big match, boxing matches were in Vegas. That's yep. what it was all about. Uh, man, there's going to be a lot of gambling going on Ugh. in hockey games. 
it'll almost be scary. Uh, you know, who's going to win tonight? Who's going to score the most goals? Yeah. We got the numbers. Now, I wonder if they'll have the gambling right in the arena. And well, you weigh in, you can throw money down on the game, throw money down on a player. I mean, that would be interesting. That, that's a good question, too. And now my, my I guess, follow-up to that is, do you think that it, the NHL will have a similar problem to the soccer leagues in Europe with gambling becoming a huge impact on the actual right down to the players level because you have people bribing schemes you have uh you know uh, criminal organizations that are influencing things i mean if it becomes to that level i'm sure the nhl has some level of gambling going on right now but do you think that las vegas having its team there will push that a little bit further do you think it'll become because it'll be right there in, you know, not in-house, but very closely proc- in proximity to, like, the strip to be able to go and say, let's go, you know, watch some hockey and bet on it and see. I wonder if it'll influence that the the betting side a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I think the NHL will keep a close eye on things. That's the last thing they want yeah. their league, you know, circled around is, oh, wow, look, there's all kinds of gambling. Or if ever leaked out in the media, the players were you know, placing bets on different Vegas games or that type thing, that negativity would be horrible for them as a sports league. Uh, They'd have to really tighten that up. Yeah. If you're you're a player on the Las Vegas team five years from now and your salary's pretty low and you want to make some extra cash and you make a bet on the side that, I mean, that's, (laughs) I don't think anyone would do that, but I'm just saying. Money talks. Money talks, yeah. <laughs> I, I think have two follow-up questions for Travis, and I'm probably going to forget one of them, so I'm going to say the first one while I'm thinking about it. The owner of the Vegas Golden Knights pays the $500 million to be the first team to Vegas, and then you find out before your team's even started playing that the NFL is right behind you. What are you thinking if you're that owner? Like You just shell up this, this amount of money. It's a lot, but you were going to be the only team in town, and now you're next to the behemoth NFL and it's it's you know it's only eight eight home games I believe so it's not quite right. the same thing because it's only sixteen game season I think yeah but it's still all of the advertising and the news media are going to be focused probably more mm. on the NFL so do you think the guy I should know his name but I don't do you think he he's upset right now over it, it might be yeah I I mean I guess the, do their seasons overlap. But they do, yeah. They do a little bit, yeah. In the beginning and the end, like I think the end of the the NFL overlaps with the beginning of the NHL. Is that fairly correct? The Super Bowl's in like January ish, right? So I don't know exactly when the NFL season starts, but it ends in January. And so they would February. overlap a fair amount. And see, that would be the biggest problem. Now, if they ran like you know one tailed into the next, it might not be that bad because then advertisers aren't really choosing between where they want to put their advertisers, uh, their dollars. I think you'd have to appeal to different advertisers because the NFL in the states is. I don't. The question to, is: Is Vegas a big enough town? Probably. I mean, probably not. I, that's what I think too. I, I think he would struggle a lot because I think a lot of the advertisers would pick up on the NFL more so than the NHL just because of the location and the. There's going to be more eyes on that product yeah, too. Exactly, and I, I mean, in the states, you see a lot of that college football leads right into the NFL. So I mean, you have that loyalty that that you're seeing locals going to the big leagues, kind of like here. I, I mean, when we think of. Like Jake Allen being from here, I mean, you know, I have that that interest in seeing him play, which drew me to it. Whereas in the in the states with the NFL, I mean, they're seeing their close friends and family members going to the big leagues. 
I mean, yeah, I don't know that the the NHL. I, I think he'd be pretty concerned about it. Uh, I wonder if they now is there an NFL team going? I, I think the Raiders I, I, have been confirmed. Have they officially? I think so. It was on, and then it was off, and then the last I heard, it was back on for sure. Well, See, I'm, like Bill Foley is the name. That's right. He, oh, okay. He would be naive to think that someone wouldn't be following him. Oh yeah, but I mean, I'm sure he's upset. He did half of the work for them. I mean, yeah. he got the excitement of a franchised sports team being there. I mean, you heard about it in the news. Everybody talked about it. Now it's kind of like he just jumped it up a level. Um, yeah, I think that they'll have to capitalize a little bit more on a, a broader spectrum of the advertisers. I think that some of the advertisers will do both, but it's going to be it be a lot of money. Uh, I mean, an advertiser is not going to be able to do it both all of the time unless they're like, the top of the top tier companies, like as big as you get. So it'll be interesting to see how much of an impact it does. I think it'll have an impact for sure. Uh, I I would say he's definitely a little nervous about how many investors he's going to be able to keep because the investors could decide to share or sell off some of their shares. Uh, Do you think, um, like we were talking about these celebrities that are getting in on these companies too, are like lots of people want to buy a basketball team or, or want to buy, it's more in the other sports than hockey, but do you think owning a franchise is kind of the new cool thing for rich people to do and they're doing it for that status? Or do you think it's more of an investment? Like, do you- It's got to pay well. I, I think, you know, on two folds, I, I mean, they return on the advertiser portion of it for an investment uh, deal. Plus they they probably write off a lot of things. Uh, I mean, they, income tax-wise, I'm sure if you own a franchise team, you get to write off a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, like I said, the biggest part would probably be relationship-wise. They're able to kind of pull people into an experience that other people might not be able to. I, I don't see it as much in hockey as you do. Like mm-hmm. You know, I think of Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban, mm-hmm. uh, when I think of him, I think basketball owner, like millionaire. I think he's way up there in the millionaire club but uh uh I, I don't know why that is either i don't know why you don't see as much of it here in canada maybe it's a cultural thing and i don't mean in canada but i mean around hockey itself where it's a more i guess cherished game they don't want people to make it do you think the nhl has stricter law when it comes to handing over ownership to teams they definitely do uh, in my opinion if we remember the whole jim bell silly thing remember how That's he true. wanted yeah, to buy a team and then all the current owners came in and said, you know what? We don't like this guy. Mm. We don't want him to own a team. And to me, that's 100% BS. If a guy has the money to buy a franchise, why should the other ownership groups decide whether or not he can buy the franchise? Say I own the Edmonton Oilers. I want to sell the Edmonton Oilers to this guy here beside me. If he has the money, why should the rest of the league Mm. be able to stop it? I own this team. If I want to sell it to this guy, why should they have the right to decide whether or not the sale can go through? But it's also because he wanted to move the team as soon as he bought it to Ontario. Yeah, and why not? Because to me, the arena was there. It would have been successful, but it's just because of the move, I believe, as to why they stepped in and said, you know what? We, as the other 29 owners of the league, we don't like you. We don't want you to own the team. And at the same time, maybe it's a good thing because, I mean, look what happened to BlackBerry, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> it might have ended really badly after he uh, he bought that franchise. But. I, I wonder, too, if the NHL treats it more like a franchise as the, the NHL itself being the parent company, the teams are more like individual franchised companies where you kind of all have to get along. And, I, I mean, they, maybe they meet and vote, but yeah, it's a tricky thing because you're on that line of 
you can go full out capitalist style and say the you know the market will dictate what goes on so if there's money involved and there's people involved let it happen there's the other side that would wonder whether or not that having no controls in place might allow things to happen that could damage the overall uh, i mean but that's an interesting part too because uh, yeah how can they control how other people decide they want to spend their money eh? But also, they're such a large one that no one could create a direct competitor in North America to the NHL. I think of like the NFL and what was it, the X League that came out for like yeah. three years. They tried to compete. XFL. And yeah. XFL, yeah. They they just got crushed because the NFL wasn't going to give up any of their fans. I mean, they would, and they had the the NFL had the money to fight it. I mean, they could either just keep the players or make you sign contracts saying that after you left the league that you can't go to another league for so many years. I mean, there's ways for them to effectively destroy another league. So, yeah, it's hard because there's no competition. I mean, if that guy wanted to go spend a billion dollars and put a team somewhere, nobody would play against him. So then what would he do? He'd have to create other leagues. So, uh, yeah, it's a pretty tough market to get into i'm sure when you're limited to what other people will accept you to you know to do who do you think are the most powerful owners in the league like i know jeremy jacobs in boston is like i think he's the chairman of the board of governors and he seems to have a lot of say a lot of people don't seem to like him because he kind of gets his way but Hmm. like who do you think like what teams owners do you think kind of decide like there's probably a handful of them that kind of have a little more say with the uh commission than the rest it's almost kind of like a an old cronies club where the owners <laughs> kind of dictate everything it's like the jim bell silly thing again you know the other 29 owners basically spoke up and said well we don't want him to be an owner it's almost like one of those elite clubs that you need to have the approval of everybody in the club if you want to get in the club it's like that episode of the simpsons with the stone cutters right <laughs> It's very, very similar. And if I had to pinpoint somebody that might have a little more pull, I would say it would be the ownership group of the Toronto Maple Leafs because they are hands down the most lucrative. So much value for the Toronto Maple Leafs. They said it's over a billion dollar franchise. If if the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be sold, would you want it to be a personal owner who maybe owns his own company that buys it? Or would you want something kind of like Toronto has where this big conglomerate of company with lots of money comes in, but they also have to answer to shareholders. So that could determine the, the amount of investment they make into that. Yeah. I think it's easier if you have, you know, personal ownership, but it really depends on who, because I think a lot of issues going on in Buffalo right now are deal to that owner mm-hmm. of that team, because he's not stepping back and just letting the hockey minds run the club. He has his hand in that cookie jar all the time and he's voicing his opinion. He's doing things behind the scenes. And I think that's why their franchise has been struggling for quite some time. So it really depends on the person. If it's just a personal owner, uh, for example, like Floyd Mayweather, He's made it clear that he wants to buy an NBA franchise. Guy's got the money to do it, but would he make a good owner? Mm. I don't know. I mean, I think he's more of a fan than an owner, and he Mm. would be a little too involved in the franchise. Whereas if you have a legit business guy step in and say, I want to buy this franchise, I want to own this franchise, I think then he's more about the dollars and not just being a diehard fan. And he would have that ability to step back and let the appropriate people run that franchise so that it can skyrocket to success. Whereas if you have a guy stepping in who has money, but he's more of a fan, I think he wouldn't be able to help himself and he'd always want to be involved 
and I think it could hurt the franchise. Yeah, I think that's interesting too because you you at one time in it's changed a little bit in the last probably twenty years where you had a lot of these guys that didn't want to be involved directly necessarily. They wanted to own the team, but own it for probably business purposes. I mean, the relationship. And if you think about it, if you wanted to really get, maybe do some development in Toronto, if you were one of those huge portion shareholders, you'd have a pretty good amount of sway to be able to go to City Hall and say, hey, like, you know, I'm bringing Toronto this much money. You know, I want to be able to meet certain people or get in front of certain people. They used it a lot like that versus now, I think you do have a lot of people that are maybe fans or maybe uh, want to be super involved but na- maybe aren't well ve- or well-versed in the business of running a franchise company. Like Floyd Mayweather, I, I mean, let's say he does buy an NBA team – does he spend more of his time in the locker room just hanging out or does he spend more of it saying these are decisions that may not be popular but have to be done to keep the franchise going? Because sometimes that happens. Sometimes the owners have to make those choices to say we have to lose this or get this or do whatever, but it keeps the longevity there. It keeps the, you know, it keeps the company going. Versus, you know, maybe Floyd Mayweather decides that they all wear pink sneakers because he thinks <laughs> it's a cool idea. Maybe that's going to turn the fans off, you know, don't have as many people buying tickets, your revenue goes down, some of the sponsors pulls out. Like, it t- doesn't take very much for places like that to take a huge dive. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, what do you do? You sell your team, and then everybody hates you. Like, uh, and I mean, not that Floyd Mayweather probably cares what anybody thinks about him. I mean, he's pretty much made a living off being a jerk and punching people in the face. So, well, yeah, I mean, like you said, some at the beginning of your well, what you were saying, you said that some owners just like to kind of stay in the background and <laughs> and whatever. And I mean, if we this is a, a good example, who's the owner of the Ottawa Senators, Justin? Eugene Melnick, exactly, my pal. Um, who's the owner of the Vancouver Canucks? No clue. Exactly. So we have we have owners who don't mind the spotlight, like Washington Capitals, Ted Leonis. I think we've all probably heard his name before. Yeah, they, he's always in the stands for games, you know. He's yeah. he's a big fan. Have we heard the name of the Tampa Bay Lightning owner, Jeffrey v- Vinnick? I've never heard that name. I'm just looking no. on my phone now. Never before. So I mean, we have owners like Melnick who, like you said, make the decisions, uh, Travis, of, you know, if he brought him pink shoes or whatever and it had a negative impact, Melnick raised the prices of parking in Ottawa. That was one of the issues recently of why fans weren't going to see the Ottawa games and was it the beginning of this round? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's an owner's decision that is negatively impacting the franchise. Yeah, it really is. And I think if you're an owner of a franchise, you have to be an owner. You have to kind of put the fan aspect aside because it can really tarnish the franchise in a lot of negative ways. And I think, and I stand by it, that that is the biggest issue in Buffalo right now is due to the ownership and that owner always wanting to be involved. Like I, I don't really fault the guy. He, he's a fan. He owns the franchise. He wants to see it succeed. However, he's not the right guy to be involved in the way that he is in order for them to achieve success. He needs to let the hockey minds run that franchise. If you hire guys a GM, let him be a GM. Don't override him all the time. Yeah, he's too emotionally invested in the success of his team. Yeah, yeah, way too much. And you can see it like in interviews and all that. Uh, he needs to be an owner first and put the fan aspect aside, unfortunately. But for some, it's almost impossible to do or it's very difficult. I would not, not make a good owner. 
of a franchise. <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't, I don't think any of us here. Maybe Travis. Travis, Travis is a finance guy. <laughs> Travis finance guy. Yeah. Uh, I would make a terrible owner because I would always be way too emotionally invested in the club. Would I make a good GM? Eh, I think I'd be better in that type role than an actual owner. Yeah. You know, you got to be the guy that just has to step back from the spotlight and just sit back and collect your money. We're gonna wrap this up soon, but what is your opinion of uh, this position of, uh, you know, president of hockey operations? Like this, it's kind of been the last ten years. It's kind of been coming in big, like like Brian Burke's position in Calgary versus the GM. And do you, do you think that's needed? It allows teams to bring in multiple hockey minds, you know, and just give them different roles. In reality, does the president of hockey operations have really more pull over the general manager? Yeah. I think a lot of it's in the title. I think a lot of them are uh, both going at the exact same wavelength as to what they're doing for the franchise, whether you're GM or the player of hockey operations it's just a fancy title in my opinion and it just allows teams to bring in more minds and not have one guy as the general manager and then another guy as the assistant general manager because he could be viewed as being you know subpar compared to this individual uh, i think it's all just wordplay in yeah. my opinion it's all about having the best supporting cast i got a off-topic question from sure. managing so right now four remaining teams which city is the most dangerous to be in when they win? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm thinking of Vancouver. Like, people got crazy. Cars oh. got blew up. Like, people got jumped. Yeah, like, Vancouver lost. And See, I may get in trouble seven. for saying this, but from what I've been reading online is Nashville is not the friendliest city in some parts of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's true. I've never been to Nashville. I just you know, think of country music when I think of Nashville. See, that's yeah. what I think, too. I yeah. think, you know, country music, everything's happy, and but apparently that's not Well, that guy lost his dog and his wife at the same time in that country music song. <laughs> yeah, I don't Things know. Things got rough. Like, if you think about Anaheim, can you imagine a, a hockey riot in Anaheim after they lost? I don't think so. Yeah, you're not going to see that. It's too damn hot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. People you, just go you surfing. Can't riot. I think of Ottawa. Break like, and sweat in no time. I just think it's a bunch of politicians being like, well, you know, we lost, whatever. Like, yeah. let's go get in our cars and go back to our big houses. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it'd be a very violent city to be in, win or lose. But uh, I think if, like, Toronto, Montreal were in the finals, like, win or lose, those places are tearing the roof off. Like, yeah, I mean, every city's probably susceptible to some kind of riot. Okay, guys, I think that's uh, good to wrap up here. I think this one was a little bit longer than normal. That's okay. It was a little, little more loose. Yeah, we. Uh, it's all right. I want to thank everyone again for coming up to that live stream on Friday. Yeah, that was awesome. We're going to do another one, and we'll make sure Justin gets to the next one. Yes. Yeah, maybe in the next our next available Friday. Sounds good. Something like that. Well, we can. Thank you, Travis, for coming in. Thanks a lot, Travis. Thanks for inviting me. All right, so that just about wraps up this episode. Uh, once again, guys, thank you very much for listening, whether you're streaming or downloading it or watching YouTube. You know, we, we appreciate it. Uh, special thank you to those people who are listening to this through their iTunes or iPods or, you know, Google Play Music or whatever podcatcher app you use. We are trying to grow the the podcast side of things. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, that's totally okay too. But uh, just a special thank you to all those people who are listening through their uh, podcast devices. If you have any feedback for us, hit us up on Twitter at Post the Post Show. If you want to write an email, post the post show at gmail.com. So once again, thank you guys, and we'll see you next week.